0: Resurfaces is a podcast presented to you by me, your host, Emily Utrup. In each episode, I'll talk to athletes and industry leaders who have faced adversity. And through shared vulnerability, I'll explore the mental and emotional challenges they have faced and discover the strategies they have used to not only bounce back, but to come back stronger than ever. I want to motivate and inspire you to show your vulnerability, acknowledge your fears, and to follow your dreams. Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of Resurface. today. I'm in the studio with former basketball player Carlos Andrat. Welcome, Carlos.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Uh, I'm super excited to hear your story today. We've been friends for quite a few years and I feel like we've been yeah, really connecting over our common interest for sport, also our common interest for speaking engagement and so on. And of course, surfing. <laughs> but one thing is that I don't really know your full story, so I am really, really excited to hear about your story, how you ended up playing basketball in the U.S., how you ended up becoming a professional basketball player here in Europe. I think the first step is to kind of dig into your story.
1: Yes. uh, Again, thank you so much for inviting me. Like you said, we've been knowing each other for uh, quite some time now. And uh, the experience that we have in the water or talking and, you know, enjoying uh, the time that we speak, when we worked out together also. Uh, so uh, it's it's a pleasure for me to to share my story with your podcast. I wish you best of luck with your new project. And Thank I'm you. excited and I'm honored to, to be here with
0: you. When I knew I was doing wanted to do this podcast, I knew that one of the first guests I wanted <laughs> to be you because yeah. I feel like, yeah, as I said, we have so much in common and we've been sharing a lot of ideas together and we, we sit often and and kind of co-work together and share these yes. ideas. And I was just like, I need to hear more about Carlos's journey from from where he started to where he is now.
1: Yes, let's do it. Yeah, cool, let's, let's,
0: let's yeah, but Carlos, take it away and then I'll just yeah. like ask some questions along the way.
1: Well, um, was born in 1978, <laughs> in April, in Cape Verde Islands, uh, on the west coast of Africa. Beautiful place, uh, really chill, a poor country, mm-hmm. uh, but I always like to distinguish poverty and misery. You know, like from big countries in Africa. Yeah, and I'm super proud of saying that my country is poor, but we don't live in misery. You know, mm-hmm. People always uh, happy uh, with what they have. You know, they see it as a blessing to get up every day, and uh, and work for uh, for a better life. Basically, yeah. that's what uh, my family and uh, and I tried to do every day you know, since I was little. I was educated to, to find the best version of myself, to help others, to be happy, to smile. My family always had that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the background. Moved to Portugal, really uh, at a young age, uh, tried to get, a, get an education. Uh, so my grandma, I grew up with my grandma. My grandma was a, a big, big mama, oh, yeah. big uh, sheriff of the house so she grabbed her six daughters and we all moved to portugal oh, so wow. my mom my sister my aunts my cousins we all moved to a, a neighborhood in lisbon it was quite rough neighborhood called shellish i don't know if you if you heard of it no but you i should have okay. back in the 80s was really really tough growing up in there but uh, we managed to to stay together my mom and two of my aunties they immigrate to, to the U.S., you know, try to provide for the, the family. They work like three jobs, mm-hmm. so they send money home for us to, to get an education and to have a, a good quality of life. Never miss no- nothing, never starve or nothing like that. It yeah. was just rough neighborhood that you have to be careful with who you hang out with, who you talk to, and, you know, be home early. You know, okay. before the lights uh, were on in the streets, because yeah. that's when dangerous things uh, would happen. Wow. When I start school, uh, I have a little encounter with some some guys that, you know, some weapons was <laughs> was uh, showing, and my grandma took me out from that school and sent me to to a different school, 40 kilometers from where we we, we what, live.
0: Wow! So, so you commuted every
1: day? Oh, yes. Yeah, so you... I um, I the bus and the train every day for like 40-45 minutes just to get out of the neighborhood so I could uh, you know just focus on studying and then later become uh, you know involved with in sports so mm-hmm. that's how basically I end up in Eddie Seder basically yeah you know, I started <clears throat> playing basketball in school and one of my teachers saw me uh, and asked me where I played basketball I said I didn't play basketball in any club his son basketball in the club so he asked me if I would like to, to join the, the club just to try out yeah and I asked I told him that he should ask my grandma mm-hmm. if she, she was okay with it I would, she was know, the boss yes <laughs> <laughs> so you know him and the, the coach and the president of the club came to, to my neighborhood to my house and asked my my grandma if I could play At the time, my sister was already playing on a really good level. She's older than me. She was much better than me, too. uh, And then um, I fell in love with the game. once I started practicing with with this team, uh, you know, knowing my teammates.
0: How old were you here?
1: I was 13. 13, 13 when I first started playing. I played soccer, rugby, volleyball, handball. I was pretty good in in all sports, but basketball was the one that... uh, you know, mm. because of my sister, I want to be like my sister. Yeah. She was already on the national team at 15 or 16 years She's older. Wow. So traveling the world, and I'm like, what? And at the time, she'd bring pictures. She didn't have cell phone with pictures, so she'd come with the, with the camera, you know. Showing uh, that. And yeah. then show us the pictures, and I was like, man, I want that.
0: Mm. And then from there, you said that you were growing up in this, like, kind of tough neighborhood in Lisbon, and your grandma did an effort to get you out of... Of the neighborhood to go to mm-hmm. school. Like, what do you, do you think you would have run in with the wrong crowd if you had stayed oh, yes, there? for sure. For yeah.
1: Sure. Basically, all of the crew that I grew up, they all were dead in jail or in really bad shape. It was just me, my, my family, my cousins, and my sister and I and another kid that played soccer for Bifica. Miguel he mm-hmm. was really famous from my generation. He retired a long time. So basically us three from sports, uh, sports took us yeah. some places that, you know, a lot of the other kids uh, dreamed, but never got the chance, you know. We mm-hmm. had more lucky, maybe we worked more for our goals, but I definitely think that, you know, if I had stayed there, I would be here.
0: It, no, sure. wow. Yeah. that's so crazy. And that's why it's so, I think it's so important to tell stories like yours as well, because I think it can inspire so many kids who might maybe are about to run in with the wrong crowd to hear something, someone like you saying like, oh, could have happened to me, but I decided to take a a, a different turn. And I think like that different turn now brings me to like, you started playing basketball here and then I know you went to college in America. So how did that all happen?
1: Yes. I was a coach, coach, no, a player that I played with when I became a professional in Portugal uh, yeah. at age 17 or almost 17. Uh, we had a, a club called Portugal Telecom. It doesn't exist no more. Okay.
0: Um,
1: it was just a club that, you know, had money or a company, Portuguese company. They had money and decided to, to make the, the team that they had professional. So they... The coach grabbed a lot of kids from the from Lisbon area mm-hmm. and some professional players and we started a professional team and some of those professional players, they were Americans mm-hmm. and one of them, uh, Jonathan Feather, he was from Florida, from Orlando. He knew another guy, Nate Dixon, and was my the coach that recruited me for uh, to go to Queen's University of Charlotte. At the time, it was Queen's College in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. But uh, uh, my sophomore year they changed the name for Queen's University of Charlotte. It was a Division two school. They offered me a, a full scholarship to study uh, and to, to get a degree and mm-hmm. to play basketball best experience of my life yeah. changed my life completely. Right. which I have no doubts about it. At the time was was tough because it was my only offer. yeah <laughs> now I have kids that work or that I represent. They get like three, four, five offers, you know, with the social media. You take emails, you send links or videos at the time. The VHS cassettes that I had sent takes two weeks to get there. Oh, wow. They, used to, they saw the tapes. I sent some of my best games. and then they send back with the letter and everything. And they, Offered me a full full scholarship. Wow! So, like, so
0: you had to be a bit pa- more patient back then. Yes, <laughs> to see. much more.
1: My sister was already uh, in college uh, there. She went to Old Dominion in Virginia. Mm-hmm. She was very very successful. She went to the finals against Tennessee in ninety eight. Wow! So it was it was amazing. And I want that experience. I tried to go to her school, but I failed the SATs oh, wow. <laughs> by thirty points, uh, and uh, I couldn't make to make it to her school. So I enrolled myself in college here, and then I just transferred.
0: Oh, then you uh, transferred from Portugal to yeah, there?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um,
0: and you say like, that was the best experience of yes. your life. What made that experience so great?
1: Well, it was just the challenges that, that came with it, you know. Um, I was really shy, you know, not really... A, I knew when I was playing basketball, I was big and stronger than everybody, or yeah. most of everybody. But outside, I was like a shy kid, didn't talk to, to many people and didn't look people in the eye. Mm. It was like really shy. When you experience that, that you go to a different country, uh, different continent, <laughs> uh, different culture, uh, and then you have to, you know, to adapt, basically. Of course, yeah. yeah. So uh, I didn't have family anywhere around, uh, so I could lean on. So it was just a phone call away whenever I... Feel homesick, I call and cry on the phone. Yeah, and I have my mom and my grandma just say, Hey, strap it up, buddy. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> you're there with two purposes get a degree and play basketball. So, yeah, so I managed. It uh, was first six months, was really really bad. My routines were crazy. Go to bed at 3 a.m. to get up at six to work out. Wow, you know, I tell you a little bit of my day. It was get up at six, go to the gym, then uh go shoot free throws and make like five sets of uh, shooting. Before eight, I would have to to have my breakfast already because classes started at eight eight, eight five. Mm -hmm. So classes until one, eat lunch, then uh, take a a quick break, go to study hall until four, then practice until seven, then go eat dinner, then study hall again, and um, and then uh, do my homeworks. But yeah. like here the the crazy thing is like I didn't speak any English when I went to the States. Wow. You know, I had Americans on my team, I understand, but the English that we learn here is like the British.
0: Yeah, so, very different. Yeah. Oh man,
1: so Emily, I would stay on the <laughs> on the lunch table with the Americans, and they would speak, and I was like, I didn't understand nothing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, nothing, I, I was the same when I went to Australia yeah. to study. I still remember the first essay I did. Oh, I I asked one of my who's now one of my best friends. She was my roommate back then, and I asked her, could you just read over my my first essay that I did in English? And I remember she like took my hand, and she was like. After she read it, she's says, Emily, I'm sure it was beautiful in Danish. <laughs> and I was just <laughs> devastated. <laughs> and she was like, no, no, don't worry. We can fix it. We can fix it. Yeah. So sometimes I'm also, I would never have survived university without that, my group of friends and the community. And it was crazy. I guess it was for you yeah. like that as well. Did you have a lot so, of help from your teammates? Yes.
1: Uh, I had two guardian angels. <laughs> uh, it was Martha and uh, Emily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, she was from Canada, Canada, and Martha, she was from New York. So basically, what he told me to do was go to class. We didn't have cell phones with uh, with uh, smartphones. Yeah, yeah. Smartphone. Yeah, yeah. So I had, you know, those little recorded machines. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cassettes like this, tiny. So I would go, and for each class, I'd have a little cassette. You know, I had four classes a day. So I'd go, teachers start talking and i play record yeah. so i record all the classes that i had Wow! and then after dinner i get together with them with both of them and we hear everything that we i had in class so wow. take notes
0: and they help you like and they help me uh-huh, they would go nice. to bed
1: like same time as me for like six months seven months
0: that's like, amazing man that
1: was that was crazy yeah and uh once i start, you know getting loose of course, playing basketball was uh, easier. coach thought he would help me if he put me with a foreigner's uh, dorm.
0: Oh, yeah. but,
1: uh, I asked him to, to move me and put me in the, the dorm with the, with the Americans. Because on the foreigners, Spanish, Swedish, uh, Mexicans, Japanese.
0: Yeah. So, and you just wanted to speak English. Yes. Sometimes. Our yeah.
1: English was terrible, first yeah. of all. And then we'd get groups, you know. Spanish, yeah. they would stay in Spanish and, and speak. Spanish. Spanish, I speak Spanish, you know, but the guys from Europe, he was like a guy from Sweden, from France, myself from Portugal, Switzerland. So we would speak, but not really have conversation. It was just like, yes, no, do you like school? Conversations like that. (laughs) Very simple, yeah. And I felt like my English wasn't improving. So, because I would go you know, meet my teammates and work out, and then go to classes, and I couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. So I asked coach to, to move me to, to the dorm, and it was the best decision. You know, in a couple of months, I, I'd go to bed with my TV on, you know, oh, yeah. I'd fall asleep. Here in English, I would get up, talk to people in English already, or good English, and, and that's how I start getting better. And then once I start getting comfortable with my teammates, because I was always around my teammates, they make a little fun of, of me, like my English, but not like in a you know a bad way. No. They like my accent. Yeah. Know, because of African
0: accent. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so well, I they, always get that as
0: well. Yes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so they were super excited to hang out with me, and uh, and then once it hits me, because they were like, "Oh, so you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be, you know, shy," because how many languages do you speak? I was like, I try to speak English. I speak Portuguese. I speak Spanish. At the time mm-hmm. I spoke uh, French wow. and Creole, that's my native language oh, from, uh, yeah, yeah. from Cape Verde. So it's like, we only speak English, dude. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well that makes sense. Yeah. So then they, they start, you know, uh, motivating me to to speak and I, I felt comfortable, you know, making mistakes speaking and they would correct me and I, I figured that they weren't trying to correct me in the bad way, they were just mm-hmm. trying to help me. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So in a couple of months, my English was fluent, and then it was just, you know, I start get going to bed a little bit earlier, yeah. you know, finishing my homework earlier. I didn't have to, to write it down in Portuguese and then translate it to English. I wrote that already in English, English. you know, the classes I wouldn't have to, to read or to listen to the whole class. You know, it was, it was just a process. So yeah. that made me, you know, a lot of times cried and wanted to come home, but. My family supporting me and telling me that if I really want, you know, this is what I have to go through. So it was the best decision. And
0: yeah. how long did you stay in America?
1: Four and a half years.
0: So was it all during college, or did you also stay after college? I stayed there? a
1: couple, stayed a couple months. Um, I knew that I wanted to play professional yeah. after college, so. In 2003, when I, I went into, in ninety nine until 2003, I finished. Um, actually, this May will be 20 years
0: that wow. <laughs>
1: I'm going for my homecoming.
0: Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. The that's meeting. amazing.
1: Yes. And I'm going to be induced in the Hall of Fame for my school this, wow, this year. That's so it's so going to cool. be super exciting. Yeah. And uh, I finished, um, and then I knew that I want to play uh, professional. I had a chance to to go to the NBA, Um, I had a great, great career in in college, broke the records from school, I still hold some some records of rebounding points, assists, uh, minutes played, All-American, and then, you know, scouts start noticing me, so um, an agent contacted me, a couple agents contacted me, and uh, I decided to go with one from Atlanta, so... It took me, you know, to some tryouts, a tryout with the Boston Celtics, Atlanta Hawks, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, Milwaukee, you know, uh, Minnesota, Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. But I didn't make it. You okay. Know. It was probably, it's arguably the, the second best draft year of all time. Oh, really? You know, wow. they They always asked 96 with uh, Kobe mm-hmm. and Allen Iverson and all those dudes. And 2003, with LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, so it was that, tough. That
0: was a tough year, tough.
1: yeah. I, I I have no doubt in my heart, and I'm not saying this, trying to be cocky or anything. If it no. was the draft this year, if I wouldn't be in the draft in the last five years, I would get drafted. That's wow. how hard it was back in the day yeah. and how much the game changed since, okay. since back then. Uh, didn't make the NBA, so I stayed there um, a couple more months and then I came back to Europe to, to play in 2003. Okay. went to Scotland, played for a couple months, then I decided to come to Portugal to take care of my passport. Because at mm-hmm. the time, my passport was still Cape Verdean Cape
0: passport. Verde. Oh, so yeah, okay. to play in
1: Europe with an African passport, you have a lot of limitations in, mm. in some countries because of the, the number of foreigners that you can have in, the,
0: okay, yeah, in yeah. the
1: on the roster. So if you have a European passport, you have more opportunities. No, so yeah. basically, I um, I got my Portuguese passport because I grew up here until I was 18. So uh, I got there and then my career in Europe took off. Uh, played in Portugal, played in Spain, played in Germany, mm-hmm. you know, Scotland.
0: Yeah, your dream was MBA. And then, yeah. then how did your mindset kind of, okay, I can still make it work as a professional yeah. athlete, but maybe not an MBA, but in Europe. Yeah. I guess, like, how did you kind of overcome that? Though,
1: well, it wasn't wasn't really hard, okay. you know. Um, at the time, some European players uh, started to go to the NBA, so mm-hmm. I saw it as a different route to, to get to different the NBA. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I tried to play on the highest level in in Europe as as possible, so NBA teams could still take mm-hmm. a look at me. You know, I I. I Know that some teams uh, were looking at Atlanta Hawks. My my work, my best workouts was with Atlanta and um, Boston.
0: Okay. So
1: they were still uh, in contact with my with my agent and never never got got it through. So I was like, okay, so it's the best or the, the second best league in in uh, in the world, Spanish league. Mm. Okay, so Spanish league, I'm coming for you. So. Yeah. Wow. It was. I didn't stop until I played in, in Spanish League. I played in Spanish League for two years. Uh, the first league I played one year in second and two years in, in first. And then, um, you know, I played in Germany, played in Portugal. I made most of my career in Portugal. The, yeah. I broke a lot of records in I, Portugal. I, I, I've been reading up a
0: lot about that. A <laughs> yeah. lot of championships, a lot of records. So, it uh, seems like you had an amazing career here.
1: And... Yes. And then uh, your goals start, you know, changing a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I wanted to play for a Euroleague team,
0: yeah.
1: which I did, but the year that I played, they didn't play Euroleague, because <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the year before, they didn't win the, the championship in Germany. But we played the, the second European championship, which was a ULEB Cup. It was an amazing experience. I played that for five years in Portugal, and in, 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 uh, in, in Germany, with, with a Portuguese team and with a German team. So the best of the best yeah. in Europe play in those in those uh, leagues then I got called for the national team the Portuguese national team uh, amazing experience playing against the best in the world you know and I did great you know gained some respect yeah and, you know just the experience of playing against these these high quality guys and really humbled you and yeah. and make at the same time you think, okay, I belong here, you know, because yeah. these guys that I see on TV, that I read on the newspapers, uh, You know they're not that much better than me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, once I start getting that mindset, I didn't get cocky, but it, I was super confident whenever I get on the, on the court. On the field, yeah. On the court, there was no basketball player that would be better than me. That was my,
0: my mindset. You're not intimidated not, playing no, against anyone. Not at all, not at all. And, and how what, did you get to there?
1: Now I see it as an opportunity. Yeah. I always saw it as opportunity. Going through that process that I just told you in in the U.S. built me not to have to to have fear or not to have fear. I, I was still, you know, some sometimes uh, intimidated. But with that process that I went through when mm-hmm. I went to the states, I learned that you know I can I can do whatever I can. Overcome whatever I, I put my mind into it. So yeah. that's what I, I saw as an opportunity I saw I knew that all the cameras were on those guys You know, I yeah. knew that all the nobody knew about me No, but i would take it as an opportunity that people will after that game. They knew who I was Yeah, and I took it from there, you know, I played against Spain many many times at the time with Paul Gonzalez. it was like the best after uh, US it was Spanish Serbians, Croatians, maybe. Okay. So, best, leagues, yeah. best leagues. So uh when I played against the national team of Spain, against Paulo Sol, Rudy Fernandez, João Carlos Navarro, all these players that played in the NBA. This was my opportunity of yeah. showing, showing the world. Yeah. So, you know, I was for a couple of years the best player on the national one of the best players on the Portuguese national team. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they made I make sure that, you know. They saw me and yeah. recognized me. To and, this day they I see when I see them whenever I go to conferences or to games with the job that I have now I have to contact a lot of these guys now in positions in, you know, clubs as the GMs or coaches or, because now like, you are an
0: agent for different so, players yeah. in Europe or all over? All over. Like just going back a little bit to what you told us about in the beginning was you growing up in Cabrera where you learned kind of to have this mindset of being really grateful and happy. And is that also where you have this like discipline to work hard and stuff like Do you think that comes from there as well? Yes, for sure.
1: My grandma and I took her as an example because she d- divorced my grandfather, you know, before we came. I don't really have memory of that, but they mm-hmm. weren't together no more. So she comes to a different country with six daughters by herself. Wow. You know, and at the time it was three. No, it was me and my sister. And then my cousin already uh, was born here. My One of my aunties came pregnant, but she, she had yeah. uh, my cousin here. So she comes and she raises six daughters in Portugal and she has two in the, in the U.S. Plus, she wrote. She she raised also two of my uncles. There was with my grandfather with a different woman. So okay. this tells a lot of, about the character yeah. of my my grandma.
0: You know, you have a lot of strong women in your yes. uh, in your yes. family and in your yeah. community. And also, you said you look, always looked a lot up to your older sister, who's now yeah. she's in the NBA, like coach, right?
1: Yeah, she's a, a coach in the NBA. That's amazing. Her,
0: yeah, so you I know, guess. How has that, like, formed you? Yes, just uh, the
1: strength that they all had, you know. They didn't take a no for an answer ever, No. ever. Learned uh, to respect people, to respect women, for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. And, and got that strength and mindset of, you know, just working, working, and be humble, you know, just uh, being in a different country. It's not that you bow your head, but you, you have to adapt, you have mm-hmm. to understand, you have to respect, because you're not from here, basically. So um, I definitely was grateful uh, for, you know, the opportunity of uh, getting a better life. I'm still, you know, really connected to to my country. I go
0: not every month,
1: but every other month, because now I have projects uh, there. And, uh, you know, my culture is Cape Verde, but I'm definitely grateful of uh, the opportunity that I had in in Portugal, because if it wasn't, you know, for being here and studying here and get this opportunity that I got from being here, I would probably be here.
0: Yeah. Wow. For sure. Yeah. That's so cool. And something I also you know, something I also want this podcast to be about is this being able to show vulnerability, being able to talk about the the tougher stuff and mm-hmm and i know that now you are you're working with a mental coach to to help you and i think it's really important to acknowledge that sometimes we cannot do everything by ourselves and we yeah. need to have tools and have help is that something like also when you were playing basketball was that something you also did working with coaches or sports psychologists or, or is that something that came into your life later
1: uh yeah it just came to my life much later and i'm so sad about that <laughs> yes While I was a professional uh, player or athlete, I was, like I said, I was strong, quick, athletic. Yeah. So I thought I was Superman, basically. Yeah. You know, and uh, I never thought about this type of, uh, you know, tools that could help you develop even more your your game. Yeah. Of course, uh, I'm a little bit older in our generation. We didn't have the the tools that we have now, the social media to Mm -hmm. learn about this stuff. So I never really got an opportunity to listen to this this type of stuff uh, yeah. early in my career. By saying that, you know, it was just uh, after I retired, long time after I retired, retired in 2018, and I started working with uh, with Rui two years ago yeah. when I had COVID.
0: Okay, yeah. You know?
1: So uh, this was a, a life-changing experience for sure. Yeah. Was, uh, I always thought it was a cliche whenever people changed their life because of a crazy situation. But now I understand.
0: Yeah. uh,
1: It wasn't like, I mean, it was pretty scary. Yeah. (laughs) I I think you heard how I got COVID and I was in the hospital for 10 10 days. And it put everything in perspective. Machines and couldn't breathe. My lungs suffered a massive uh, crush. You know, I lost almost 40% of uh, lung capacity. So it was just a good stuff. I have three kids laying on the, uh, I have three kids and I'm laying on the hospital bed and not knowing if I'm going to make it because you hear all the stories during the pandemic, people dying all day, every day, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I'm like, shoot, here I am. (laughs) Maybe I'm going to be part of the statistic. Uh, Yeah, you're like,
0: oh, I'm this healthy guy. I'm super sporty. You You never thought it could happen to you, right? yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I always thought that I would be that percentage of people that would get it. And don't even feel it because yeah. I'm so healthy. Pfft, what a thought, <laughs> so uh, I was in really bad shape. Five, six days when we reached the peak of the. And
0: something happened to you mentally, right? Oh, like man.
1: I'm just thinking how I'm gonna, you know, tell my sister to take care of my kids from my other marriage, or and then Telma with uh, Emma, so so small. So everything was just. Uh, day by day, hour by hour just to figure out how (laughs) how I'm gonna do it. So one day came after those six days in terrible shape. And then I was like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) Feeling much better. You know, I would get up on the bed, on the hospital bed and then I feel really, really dizzy because I I couldn't get oxygen to my lungs. And then, okay, so, but at least I'm not coughing. At least I'm not, you know, hyperventilating. You know, I don't have the machines anymore connected to me so the doctor starts saying okay now you're recovering so it's gonna take you some time I managed to to start understanding the process right so mm-hmm. 10 days after I I went I uh, came home but I had no strength I couldn't do a push-up across the street get dizzy i had to sit down and then um, I remember seeing posts about uh, Rui working out with Dawkash Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, he, he used to work out with one of my ex-teammates, Fred Gentry, and then I I send him a message. Uh, he knew per- exactly who I was, yeah, because uh, I did Jiu-Jitsu at uh, Board Riders. He used to do or oh, he, he does jujitsu also there. So we connected and uh, we start, you know, just walking, just walking, and I'll walk like for 50 meters and I'll get tired, oh, wow. and I'll get 100 meters, I had to sit down. It combines that something that I never heard before. Yeah, the psychology, like the mental part of you know psychology, with the breathing protocols of breathing for your anxiety. Okay. Yeah. Because after that, my chest was just like I had a big bubble
0: mm-hmm. in
1: my chest, and I I couldn't take a deep breath. I couldn't sit down. I, it was just like that's anxiety right yeah. now. Pills that you have, you can take yeah. that doctors prescribe, but. To me, and he works with that, with the mental and with the breathing part, you know. So yeah. it's all about you understanding how your body and how your mind works, mm-hmm. basically. So that's what we did, man. It was amazing, life changing experience, you know, go for walks with him, you know, a couple of kilometers down Ribaera, and then to get up on those stairs at Ribeira, you well, know how yeah. hard it is. Imagine with less percent really,
0: a lot of stairs there. Yeah.
1: So we start just by walking and breathing through our nose. Inhale through your nose and exhale with, through your mouth. And I'm like, no, just through your nose. So I'm like learning how to breathe again. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was crazy. And I, and I could feel like for every session we did once a week, for every session I would feel so much better, so much better, so much better. That's crazy. It was, it was crazy. So,
0: and then it was also talking to him and sharing, like, yes. I guess, your experience. You like, yeah, had was, a lot of
1: went through depression uh, a little bit after I uh, finished my career,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I never talked to nobody about it. Or I always look as a weakness. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, depression
1: or being sad or, no you know, there's so many people that are in so much worse scenarios than I, I am.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: living in Ibizaida. Yeah. I have a big house. Remember my big house?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, have beautiful daughter, you know, save a little bit of money. Uh, And here I am depressed because i finished playing basketball for
0: twenty-seven years. So many athletes go through that. When I remember when I gave up horse riding, even I went through this like identity crisis because Mm -hmm. I always identified myself with being this person. I was a horse rider, that was who I was, you know. Mm -hmm. And and even though I was so young when I finished my horse riding career, I still went through that to kind of figure out who I was without that. I guess Mm -hmm. that was what you were going through as well, like figuring out who you were without. Yes, Being Carlos yeah, the but,
1: basketball player. Yeah, so it was, it was crazy, like how my head would go so different directions because I was known as Andrade, Carlos yeah. Andrade, the basketball player, brother of Mary Andrade, player for Bifica, player for Porto. But I know if people knew me as Carlão,
0: yeah. <laughs> for
1: example. And that's what made me fall in love with Elisea because yeah. here they call me Carlão it's different, you know, I, when I get on the highway leaving Lisbon yeah, coming to Ediseta I felt like I'm myself mm-hmm. and then when I turn around and go back to Lisbon I have to put this persona of Carlos Andrade that have, can make really a lot of mistakes because a lot of people are, why well, not like, a lot of people, like grown-ups, I really don't it's not that I don't care and people that say that irritates me so so much, I don't care what people say yes you do,
0: Yeah, yeah
1: of course you do if you don't care, you you don't care about yourself. Yeah, you know you care about what other people think about you or say about you. If that impacts your actions, that's a different story. Yeah, you yeah. know. So you have to have control. You have
0: to be true to yourself. Yes. Still, yeah.
1: So uh, I always uh, took that in mind. You know, I, while I was playing, I heard the noise around me. If I play bad, if I play good, if people commentate on my game, and I took that as a motivation. You mm-hmm. know, even if they talk good. Okay, I, I want more. I want people to keep talking good about me. If they yeah. talk bad, I'm going to show them that they're wrong. Yeah. So there was always a motivation, mm-hmm. you know. So to say that you know I don't care, it's I think they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Coming back to then when you went through that in 2018, yeah. you didn't really speak about it, you're not open about yes, it. Then it was exactly. only when you started working with Rui you started being open about it. Yeah. And and voicing
1: that you actually had a hard time right yes so all those routines that i had you know doing what i did for 27 years getting up knowing my full week how it's going to be practice every day more every morning and every afternoon but do this at lunchtime and then practice in the evening come home have dinner get up do the same thing no those routines i didn't have to to do it really by myself you know i had Coaches and GMs telling me the schedule for the weekend. I just had to adapt what I wanted to do. Extra shots, extra running, extra lifting, you know, plan my meals, all that stuff. So it was like 20 plus years. It was was all set. Yeah. Yeah. So here I am, 7th of June of 2018. It's over. So I didn't get hurt, you know. No. I didn't get fired. You know, I, my team didn't go down to second division. It was just, okay.
0: It was just time. And it was just time. Yeah. I was
1: 40 years old. I, I stretched my career until I was 40. At age 40, I was playing the best club in Portugal. I was the MVP of my team. I was an wow. all-star that year at age 40. Why Why do I quit? You know, I was in really good shape. I played yeah. 20 minutes still, you know, there's yeah. no 37, 36 years old in Portuguese league playing 20 minutes um, <laughs> so uh, but i decided that i i to retire because i always said two things that cannot happen in my career or while i play it was uh, a scandal mm-hmm. for sure i always had really conscious of who i i was around me you know yeah. when i go out with the new party boy i used to be a party boy. <laughs> so uh I always had to make sure that I was surrounded with uh, great people, great guys to hang out. I was really conscious, you know, the limit of drinking, mm-hmm. the limit of people around. Smoking, doing drugs, never did nothing like no. that. Because that was my biggest fear, more than injuries. You'd yeah. like to get up one day and the newspapers, Andrade this, Andrade that. Because oh, and, yeah. and, and, you have so many kids looking out for you. For you you want
0: to be a good example. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah.
1: For sure, for sure, and then of course injuries, you know. And then uh, when I got to, to forty, I was like, okay, I, I did it, yeah. I did that. So I Had didn't want to be.
0: Career.
1: I do not want to be that guy at the end of the finishing my career, the guy that's on the end of the bench that the coach just puts him in, so he gets a standing ovation when we're winning by yeah. twenty.
0: No way, no way, no, no way. You no want to be part of the team, yes. you wanna be the, one of the best, yes, one of the best.
1: So I was like, okay, the motivation um, is there. But it's not as quite strong as it used to be. Yeah. You know, now I had to deal with egos in the uh, in the locker room, and I always was a, a leader in the locker room. I never been a captain of a team, but I always been the guy that everybody talks to. Yeah. I, know I was first one coming in and the last one leaving. So if anybody would be in some t- type of problem or issue in the locker room, I was already there, so I knew everything. So. Yeah. They'll talk to me, I'll talk to them, coaches, players, so I, I took pride in being that guy. Mm-hmm. So then I start questioning, is that worth worth it? You know, keep doing this some guys that I don't really connect anymore. Okay, I think it's time. I'm 40 and then I started what I want to do next? I had no clue. So wow. I said, okay, I had to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it has to be now because it's going to take me a few years to figure out what I want to do. And it took me it took me a couple of years. Uh, to figure out, I'm 45, almost 45 now, and I just now understand. Okay, I had to go through what I went through these last four years.
0: You had to be uncomfortable to now yes. be yes. be yes. where and, you are today. And
1: Rui, Rui was is a big, big part of you know how my man, mindset is right now.
0: That's it. That's amazing. I think we need to get Rui on the podcast one day um, to yeah. talk about this because I think it, it's a really interesting conversation. I think For it's just something sure. that so many athletes go through like yeah. after finishing their career i think it's so important to put focus on on that because as you said when you were playing and when you were younger you didn't really see going to a therapist or study mm-hmm. your mental health was a priority because mm-hmm. you had all and i was the same you know last episode i shared my story and after even my tragic accident in china i said no to go into a psychologist because back then like 12 years ago, I felt like there was something like, oh, going to a psychologist, that's yeah. just people who are cuckoo, Crazy, you know?
1: Yeah. Crazy people go to psychology. Yeah,
0: exactly. But now there's such a different way of seeing, and I think it's positive development that we're able to talk more about these things, and that is also, it's becoming more normalized to use this, both for athletes and and other people and coming from there there's one question that i really want to ask all athletes who is on this podcast and that is what do you do in your daily routine to kind of take care of your mental health is that something you think about
1: oh yes definitely i started doing it because of Rui. yeah you know he helped me get into to a stage there to understand the importance of having a routine for you every day Mm -hmm. basically for the most part um, successful but it's not I'm not quite where I want to be Mm -hmm. but uh six o'clock alarm goes off and it was a struggle in the beginning but the part that Rui helps a lot is just the mechanisms of getting over that that Mm -hmm. first battle of the day you know that's your first battle when you don't want to get up at six but you win that battle so i was like okay I want to start my day by winning yeah (laughs) you know because he was Telling me our conversations is so cool. You should you should really talk to him about yeah. about stuff. Cause uh, he tells me, you know, uh, the snooze button is like the worst invention ever.
0: Right, yeah. Right?
1: So you 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 set up, you program yourself to get up at six, and then the snooze button is right there, five more, ten more minutes. Yeah. And then you start your day already in that routine. I was like, oh, man, this is crazy, because that's how I feel, you know. That uh, I, I hit the snooze button one, two, three, five times, and all of a sudden I'm in a rush. So yes, uh, once you start the day by losing your first battle, it carries on to the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So that was my first big challenge to to understand that. So okay, six o'clock, it doesn't matter. But the the clock. As soon as he he rush, uh, as soon as the the clock comes on, turn it off. Get my slippers on and start my routine. Yeah. So I go I have a tea right in the morning. Uh, then now because I I do the ginástica natural, it's perfect because we do breathing over there, yeah. We do movement, so it's like a perfect class to to start the day. You know, yeah, you do like you really connect with yourself, with your movements, with your agility, and and get you ready. The days that I don't do it, I try to do a. A protocol of breathing that Rui uh, taught me yeah um, for like 10 minutes and then I start with the routines of getting everything ready for Emma to go to school yeah you know take her to school I help getting everything for tell me sometimes she has to eat lunch also uh, so I prepare her lunch so that's the routine that I took in that really gets help. me
0: so it's like really important for you to have this like yes. good morning routine yeah, I'm actually yeah. listening to the other podcast where the woman on the podcast, she always says, win the morning, win the day. Is that kind of a little bit yes, what you live after? Yeah, yes, I think yes, that's, yes, that's yes, it, for yes, me, yes. that's really important as well. I know that mm-hmm. I need, I'm always like, I need to get my pulse up in the morning. That's mm-hmm. something I, I need to do some kind of exercise. Yeah, so
1: that's, that's the routines and uh, finish stopping the, the morning with a cold shower. Now, that's okay. something that we yeah. really, you know, introduced me to and I was like, what? This is life changing life changing life changing because you know the benefit then you start reading the benefits of uh you know cold exposure like cold shower to your cells to your blood to your mental health you know it's just it's not that you want it you know like uh, I, I listen to podcast of uh, uh joe rogan yeah yeah so he, he always says that uh discipline is when you're freaking is when you're Freaking head! No, it's when your head tells your freaking body who freak is in charge. It's not freak, <laughs> but you know the word. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm like, yes, that's how I feel. You yeah. know, this, I want to be disciplined and I want to follow this discipline the best that I can.
0: Yeah. A
1: lot of times, you know, my body doesn't want to go to to a cold shower in the morning or dip in the ocean or whatever, but
0: you feel wanna, good after.
1: Oh man, it's crazy. Yeah, I feel just ready for everything throughout the day. And this helps me just breathe and realize what it's in my control, you know, yeah. and, and then go from there. If I have to disconnect, uh, I disconnect really easy. Right. When I pick up the phone again and I see all the messages, I'm like, okay, now let's stress a little bit, but
0: yeah.
1: make sure that you understand what you can control and you cannot
0: control. So, yeah. so also just like being present in the moment yes. like when you kind of, when the you messages. have to join when you can. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Still a lot of work to do organizing, you know, I wanna be better that, that area, organizing my week, organizing my day, following, you know, everything that I, I organize. I depend a lot of a lot of my actions throughout the day, I depend on other people. So mm-hmm. sometimes I just get caught on that, you know, I just can't okay, until like talk to that I can't do this. But no, I can do other things. I have to to figure out, you know, what can I still learn about my job, about myself, about routines. Mm-hmm yeah it's a process you know much much better but
0: yeah. that's so cool well i think it was so interesting to hear your story and there were so many things i mm-hmm. actually i didn't know about you so yeah. yeah i'm really honored that you wanted to to, to, no, to my tell my
1: pleasure i told you that many times that you're an inspiration when i first heard your story i was like how did i not know that <laughs> and then it made sense you know the person that you are you know sweet caring you know when we worked out many times that we we talked while we worked out yeah and, and then just your vibe and your energy so i was like man for sure i'll do that and you probably be on my podcast one day
0: too. yes <laughs> so <laughs> you know, cool so. Uh, thank you so much for those words and mm-hmm. i also just in the end here, so anything else you want to add anything you would like to to say you know to people who i don't know maybe some people who are struggling who needs a little bit of Good
1: energy. Anything you would like to say to them? Yes, uh, I like to to pass the message uh, lately and don't don't close yourself. You mm-hmm. know, just open up. Just uh, talk to someone, basically. Mm. You know, yeah. just, uh, I think people often want to because of the social media or not. You know, I always see social media as 50-50. Yeah. You know, it's, it's good and bad, like everything, you know. Yeah. People are just like, oh, well, I'm gonna disconnect with this. No, it's the new the new era. Yeah. So just uh, make sure that you, you grab the best of it and block the worst of, of yeah. it. But it's always good for you to share with somebody your, your feelings or your vulnerabilities, right. you know.
0: It's exactly. Like, you
1: know, I'm still working on it. You know, I okay. think I'm, I'm doing much better but I think I can use myself as a platform and and my platform to 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 reach out and to, to tell people this yeah I think it's it's the most important you know I have friends you know there was December November and December and every week I had a friend of mine dying wow. of cancer or of this or that That's one tough. of them didn't talk to nobody didn't tell nobody so yeah. You know, since no. then I'm like, okay, what's, what's really worth it, you know? Just talk to someone, be curious, you know, to understand about any subject, you know, if it's sports, is sports, politics, religion, and most of all, learn about yourself.
0: Yeah, you know? and yeah. I also feel like when we, are, when we are willing to be more open to people mm. and show our vulnerability, people usually do it the, the other way around as well, mm. and that's something I also talk about in one of my talks. It's mm. like when we do that we create so much uh, better connections and yeah. stronger connections and you know that's kind of also our friendship because we always been super open to each other and sure. and then you create this like really way deeper friendships i feel like so For i sure. think it's so important that we all learn to be more like, like that yeah.
1: will smith once said one thing that I, there is nothing that you cannot find in the book mm-hmm. you know yes. everything that you're going through somebody else already went through yeah. or or is going through and it's written on the book yeah wow. so just find or in a book or in a link or somewhere yeah. so just be curious and find it and you're going to see that there's people going through the same things as, yes, as you, you know. so it's it's basically for you to have a, a mindset of if you're struggling you want to get out of that struggle yeah and some people just comfortable in the struggle yeah you know i don't understand but but it's tough, you know, and surrounding yourself with good people and wanting to get out of that struggle.
0: Yeah. You're gonna get
1: out of that struggle eventually, so. Amazing. That's I
0: good. think that's a good note to kind of end on. Yeah. Um, but before yeah. we end, maybe you can just uh, quickly say where people can follow you. I'll also put a link uh, yeah. in the bio of the podcast if anyone wanna hear more about Carlos, where can they find you? Yeah,
1: just social media, really easy. Carlos23Andrade. Be ball is
0: life. Be ball is life. Be ball is life. <laughs> Great. Very All right. Nice. I'll put the, the link here. Sometimes
1: <laughs> I'm boring. Sometimes it's like. <laughs> <laughs> um, ready.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank um, you.
1: Thank you. Good luck. Definitely sure that you're gonna reach out to a lot of people and you know make your story as an example like it is already. So um, good luck to them.
0: Thank you so much and thanks everybody for listening in on resurface we'll be back again in two weeks with another exciting athlete so done yeah <laughs> are we gonna go shredded. shred it <laughs>